Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Final day of September and the third quarter as futures swing into the green. We watch debate reaction, corporate layoffs, uh, some positive news on testing and vaccines, uh, Palantir and stimulus. And that's going to lead our roadmap. Speaker Pelosi set to talk with Mnuchin again today. And we will hear from the Treasury Secretary in a few minutes at Delivering Alpha. Plus, Palantir's public debut, the data mining firm backed by Peter Thiel, is going to have a direct listing at the New York Stock Exchange. Lots to discuss there. And COVID optimism. Regeneron saying its treatment cocktail helps in the early stages of the virus. And we will talk with the company's co-founder and chief science officer later on this hour. Jim, of course, you got to get the debate out of the way. Everybody's uh, talking about that. And we're going to hear the argument that if you look at futures and even some of the prediction markets today, uh, there's an argument that the debate really didn't change the broad contours of the race. Uh, Before we got uh, PMI, uh, before we got this uh, little squib from Speaker Pelosi, uh, the futures were down very big. Uh, When I was watching uh, Dom this morning, uh, it looked like the market would be very ugly. And I think that was because of a recognition that there was no way you could possibly have any sort of compromise on stimulus, given how much uh, a a man who says I am the party, Vice President Biden, uh, could disagree. Uh, I guess the word disagree could be used. It was pretty vehement uh, with the president. So, David, when I listened to it, my thinking was they're so far apart that there's no way that there could be a deal. But obviously, hope continues to spring eternal. Well, I think we'll have to see what Secretary uh, of the Treasury Mnuchin has to say about it, because he does seem to be the other side of the conversation. Uh, at least he has been when it comes to Speaker Pelosi. Uh, unclear what uh, Chief of Staff Meadows is uh, going to do here. He's been seen in some ways as an obstacle, despite what was his optimism weeks ago that maybe something would get closer when you had that uh, draft proposal out of, uh, out of the, that sort of bipartisan group of Congress people, Jim. Um, but to your point, given the rancor we saw last night, it does become hard to imagine compromise of any sort ever, period, regardless, frankly, of who even wins the election. I, I, I couldn't agree more uh, when I'm listening. I mean, what what they're trying to do uh, is destroy each other. And it's not I mean, to me, maybe there are other representatives of of, uh, of, the, of the various parties that could say, hey, listen, you know, that was just theater. And we're reality. But, Carl, I think the idea that that's theater and we're reality should be switched. The uh, president's reality, and I'm afraid that Secretary Mnuchin's theater, as when we hear Becky interview him, I, I want to know the seriousness of this whole thing. Because you got, I got to tell you, there's so many small, medium-sized businesses that would switch their plans radically if they knew what was going to happen. They go into survival mode rather than uh, a mode which just says, OK, it's business as usual. And without any sort of stimulus, you know what? It's October. You got to pay your rent. If they're not going to give us money for rent, time to close. Pretty simple. Yeah. So are you more... 
So right now, Jim, are you more worried about the ongoing pressure on small business like we've talked about all week or the layoff announcements that we're getting like Disney, uh, like Shell, like Dow today, uh, Marathon getting some underway as well. Uh, the, the S&P layoffs. Yes. That, the, the, and airlines, too, as the CARES Act expires today. Yeah, I'm very worried because I think that some of this is a, uh, the fault of the government. Remember, 60, what, uh, Mr. Wonderful is saying 60, 65 percent of the uh, of small business of businesses, small business. I know Larry Kudlow agrees with a very high number. And, and obviously the airline, the aerospace business is incredibly big. Don't forget, it also includes Boeing. Uh, the the da- you know, these different ones in the chemicals, I think those are companies that are actually doing quite well. So I don't really get why they need to do the layoffs. But I just think that it has to do with business planning. It's almost as if no one in, I remember the, that George McGovern, who ran for president at one point, was a senator, said, if I had owned, he owned an inn. If he had owned an inn when he was a senator, he would have realized and voted very differently. I don't think these people understand that it, it, you're just going to close. I mean, there's no sense to be open if there's no money coming to you. And so this is a make-or-break moment for everybody, including the airlines, for a huge part of America. And David, I, I think that there are, out of touch in Washington with what it means to have the cash flow of a diner. Well, who's out of touch? I mean, let's be fair. The House passed a bill of over $3 trillion in May, Jim. Well, okay, out of touch meaning they can't reach a compromise. Okay. Uh, Not that somebody has the right number and somebody's the wrong, but that there should be some way uh, to get people to be targeted. I mean, look, not not everybody needs a bonus, right? Just industries that are closing. Call back to you. Uh, Jim, we're going to head to Delivering Alpha, uh, the Treasury Secretary, with our Becky Quick. At writ large, is what's going to happen in terms of another financial aid package? We've got millions of Americans who are out of work. We've got businesses, small and large, that are in crisis at this point through no fault of their own. Will we see another uh, financial package to aid them before Election Day? Well, the president and I are working hard on a bipartisan proposal. Uh, I spoke to Speaker Pelosi several times over the weekend. We had a conversation for about an hour yesterday uh, going through different aspects of it. And uh, I expect I will come back with her later this afternoon and we'll deliver a response. So I think we'll have a, a very reasonable response, something that's very similar to what has been the bipartisan proposal that the problem solvers has worked on. And I hope we can get something done, because as you said, there are clearly still businesses out there, small businesses that are impacted. We need more money for kids going to school. We need liability protection for small businesses to open the economy. And we're going to continue to work hard to try to get uh, those results to the American people that are impacted. Mr. Secretary, you're usually pretty even keeled and you are probably the person most in the administration who has reached across the aisle to try and have these conversations. Although I have gotten the sense lately that you've been a little frustrated, too. I just wonder, in those conversations with Speaker Pelosi, is it more or less contentious than the debate we saw last night? Well, the the speaker and I uh, have a relationship, which it's really it's it's all business. Uh, I think we're very effective in communicating with each other in many cases. We do have things that we agree on and we have things that there are differences and we're trying to see if both of us can manage a package that gets some of what everybody wants. Do you think that's likely? Because I have to say at this point on Wall Street, most people have written off the idea that there will be any package that can be decided, at least not before the election. 
Well, I'd say we're going to give it one more serious try to get this done. And I think we're hopeful that we can get something done. I think there's a reasonable compromise here, um, something that the president very much wants to get done and make sure that we help those parts of the economy that still need need help. So we're going to try to see if we can get something passed. Even if you do reach an agreement with Speaker Pelosi, you still have the Republicans in the Senate who have been pushing back and who the demands that they've put forth, the things that they'd like to see, uh, is a much skinnier package than I, I think the administration and the White House has kind of put forth. They're looking to spend less than $900 billion. How would you bring those Senate Republicans on board? And have you spoken to any of them? Uh, Mark Meadows and I spoke to both Kevin and Mitch McConnell yesterday. We went through with them, what our thoughts are. And, uh, you know, let, let's let's see if we can get a compromise agreement with the speaker, something that works. Uh, and then we'll continue to work with uh, both sides to work on all the exact language and the policies. Can you give us any idea of the scope of, of, of what is there in the middle ground? I mean, I, I think I can guess at some of these things, what, what's targeted, what seems to have bipartisan support. And I would throw out things like um, extending unemployment ex to some extent uh, and, and raising that number, maybe extending some money for small businesses, potentially the airlines, making sure that this is targeted information. But can you give us any scope about the things that you've been discussing that you think are likely and that there is common ground? Well, first, let me say uh, all the issues that we, we worked with the Senate on on the trillion dollar deal are in there. Uh, in, in many cases, uh, we actually have an agreement between the Republicans and the Democrats on what we want to do. Uh, but in certain cases, the issue is really about the size and scope of how much we want to do. So there, there are certain policies where we do have differences, but there's a lot of commonality. Things like the PPP has enormous bipartisan support. Uh, money for schools has enormous bipartisan support. Uh, we have additional direct payments, economic impact payments, which has support on both sides. We have back-to-work credits. We have retention credits. So I think there's, there's many areas. Uh, you mentioned the airlines. We do support more money for the airlines. That's something that's critical to keep our airline workers uh, together. The airlines have issued a deadline of tomorrow before they will lay off 30,000 or even more employees that come up. Do you think that there will be any sort of a carve out or that this legislation could get passed before tomorrow's deadline just for that industry in particular? I don't think there'll be anything on a standalone basis. You know, I, I would hope that uh, by tomorrow we either have an understanding on an overall package. That doesn't mean, obviously, there wouldn't be a lot more work to do. But I, I am hopeful that we can come to an overall understanding. And if we do that, hopefully the airlines will postpone their actions. I will say uh, I'm very proud of the people at the Treasury Department who have been working very hard to close all the airline loans. We got that done. And uh, there's a lot of support we've already delivered for that industry. Have you had any conversations with the CEOs of those airlines asking them to, to make sure that they would hold off on, on, on laying off anyone if there looks like there is at least some understanding between the parties? Um, I've spoken to all the airline CEOs on, on a constant basis. Uh, I think they've done a good job reaching out to both Republicans and Democrats. Uh, and, and I'll be calling them this afternoon and giving them an update on my conversations with the speaker. 
Based on what you've said, Mr. Secretary, it sounds to me like the two big outlying issues that you would have between the left and the right is the Democrats really want to make sure that states see some sort of uh, aid that's given to them to make sure that there aren't additional layoffs that happen to teachers and firemen along the way. Um, and, and, and the right, the Senate, the Republicans in the Senate have said that they would like to make sure that they see liability for businesses, um, make sure that they're not liable for things that might happen by reopening during COVID times if they are following the rules. Do you think those two issues would be something that would be combined here or would you take each of those out? No, we'd, ha we'd have to have both of those in. Um, it's, it's very important for us to make sure that we, we have reasonable liability protection. Uh, that's both for schools and for small businesses. Uh, the speaker and I have had discussions on that. Uh, we also know that, uh, you know, the issue of money for state and local government is, is something that there is a divide on. We're going to try to come up with a compromise on that. I will just say in, in the regulations we've already done, we've given the states flexibility to make sure that they could use the money they have to pay first responders, firemen, policemen, other people. The president doesn't want to see these people laid off. Uh, these are critical emergency workers that are really working round the clock to support all of us right now. So we will be allocating some more money in, in a compromise package to pay for that. Uh, Mr. Treasury Secretary, uh, last week I spoke with Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America, and he said that based on what they are seeing at the bank, they believe that it will probably take about five quarters before you get back to the growth levels that we were seeing before the pandemic, growth of GDP growth of one to two percent. He did say if there was another aid package that was passed, he thought that that could move things forward. I, I guess I would ask you, what's your expectation for the economy and what's your expectation if there's no more aid that's passed? Well, let me first say, I think the economy is doing much better than anybody expected at this point. Both the, the unemployment rate dropping back down to close to 8% is really extraordinary from what had been very high levels in closing the economy. So as we've reopened, I, I think you've seen a very good rebound. I think you're going to see a very good quarter. Having said that, we still have more work to do. Uh, until we get everybody back to work, uh, the president and my job is, is not done. That's something that we're very focused on. And I would say that clearly this package will help the economic recovery. And I would also say the progress that we're making on vaccines and testing also is going to help the economic recovery. The, the 150 million Abbott tests that we have that will be delivered between now and the end of the year and those are mostly going to go to schools, nursing homes, and, and other types of, of institutions. Um, very, very cost effective, $5 a test. You can do them very quickly, get the response very quickly. These types of advances in testing is really going to create a boost for the economy. I guess I would ask what your outlook for the economy, I mean, it's very hard to try and pin this down at this point because we don't know what happens with COVID during the winter months. We have had lots of doctors, including Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who joined us today to say that he does think we will see a resurgence of coronavirus cases in the winter here. I don't know what that means potentially for businesses having to shut down again. Uh, but I wonder your own forecast. How, how do you measure this? How do you kind of see out and, and what is built into your forecast in terms of what we see with coronavirus in the next few months? Well, I've, I've been listening to the medical professionals, and uh, again, I take great comfort in the progress that's being 
made on vaccines. I think it's pretty clear we're going to have a vaccine. What the exact date is, we'll see. It could be soon. It could be the end of the year. But uh, I think that the money that we've invested in vaccines, vaccine development manufacturing, is really going to pay off. It was a, a extraordinary commitment that is really going to help. Um, I would also say, as you look at more and more testing, you're going to see more cases. Uh, I had an experience with someone uh, in the last two weeks who was tested. They never even had any symptoms. So I think this is a very bizarre disease. In certain cases, people get it with no symptoms. In certain cases, it is difficult, especially when people have medical conditions. But clearly, the economy is tied to the medical advancement. And I think that traditional, I've said before, traditional economic models don't work. But what I can tell you, uh, more fiscal response will help the economy. And I would also say the, the sooner we're able to get these advances of testing and vaccines into the economy, the better off we'll be. All right, you've been listening to uh, Secretary Mnuchin being interviewed, of course, by our Becky Quick at our Delivering Alpha conference. We'll have coverage, of course, throughout the day. So many notables. Uh, but uh, here, uh, uh, guys, uh, the key was where do we stand in terms of potential negotiations between the administration, the Senate and the House? Uh, and I guess, Jim, you would call that a something positive. Uh, you know, Mnuchin does seem willing to try to get something done here and did give us sort of a timeline. Uh, saying he kind of hopes to get something done in the next day, at least uh, make enough progress where they can say, OK, we are very close to a deal. Well, I think it's about tone. Uh, the civility with which the secretary speaks uh, to me uh, and Becky's excellent question about the Senate was not really answered. But the civility, uh, the tone, uh, the lack of rancor really, to me, cuts to the idea that maybe there's mutual respect, which is needed at all times. And so, therefore, something can be hashed out. Uh, Carl, I think that what's been missing the whole time is a definitive view from the Senate and Mitch McConnell that there are senators who think that we really need a stimulus. I think there's a lot of people who listen right, to right. secretary and, and they say, what the heck? Secretary just said business is great. Why are we giving away more money? That is really at the crux now of what they need to do. Yeah, no, there's definitely uh, vote counting in there. Jim, two things. Um, this idea that he's going to give it one more serious try. How interesting is that? And then saying that he does not see standalone aid for airlines. Yeah, I was actually hoping that, that there would be a carve out for the airlines just because that's going to happen in 24 hours. The rest of it's going to happen uh, when the people who seek your rent uh, aren't paid. And I think that that's really uh, the next hurdle for, for most of small and medium-sized business. And that matters. I, I thought that he said something very interesting that's been completely overlooked. He talked about how the president is releasing the Abbott Labs test. They're, they're $5, $150 million. There'll be another $50 million this month. I think they can do a billion. Uh, and what that does is make it so that you can figure out very quickly, 15 minutes with, a, with an app, that you might be able to uh, be clear for the 24 hours, which is why I thought it was such a shame that Disney had to lay off so many people. Now, I know that was a state issue, Carl. I know that that was about a viral load in that area. But the idea that you could have a, something on your cell phone that would give you 24-hour immunity is what you need. Uh, and the, the Secretary Mnuchin said that. The president said it. But there's been no there's been absolutely no communication that I can tell uh, other than to nursing homes. 
but not to airlines, not to theme parks of the valid of the valid nature of a 24 hour pass that you get for five bucks instead of the 200 and whatever for United that's done on site. So $143 vault actually for JetBlue. Uh, but that's that takes a day or two. Uh, we had the CEO on yesterday, Jim. Um, and uh, that's still a lot of money. Uh, you know, when you think about it uh, in terms of taking a trip, maybe it makes sense. But given where air air craft air travel is right now in terms of pricing it's a pretty big percentage well, probably st- of what you're paying you should go to walgreen get the five dollar um, uh Abbott test and then go yeah but here we are seven months into this pandemic and we still don't really have easily accessible cheap reliable testing well but the government has them they have 150 million of them but they've given some to nursing homes 98 percent accuracy great great i know well abbott labs do you have the app I download the app. No, I don't have the app. You need the app. Thankfully, we get tested here once a week. Well, anyway, Carl, we, have, we do have Regeneron to find out what it means to be tested once a week. Or tested every day. Yeah. Or no, if there's you're the Tennessee Titans. Wow. Yep. Uh, the NFL was a big story yesterday, Jim. Uh, we're going to cover more of the testing and vaccine news we've gotten over the past 24 hours. Also, a series of upgrades in retail uh, like Starbucks, Canada Goose, LB, Shopify, and more. We're back in a minute. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Let's get to the mad dash now. Starbucks is the feature as we, uh, about seven minutes before we get started with trading here on this Wednesday. Well, you know what, David? There's an upgrade by Cowan, uh, and they're talking about uh, a much bigger bull case, raising estimates above the consensus. I think the Cowan analyst is really out there with this upgrade because what that Cowan analyst is saying is that basically uh, it's a risk reward, but the numbers will be better. And some of that is because of sales taxes to transcend displaced routines. They're going to have more stores. They're being able to negotiate really good leases. Uh, they're going to have curbside. So, David, what this upgrade is, is basically saying, even though it's the quiet period, and I don't really know the numbers because Kevin Johnson, the CEO, is not giving them out, they are doing their own work. Uh, I, would, I could call it freelancing, uh, but I think that growth at scale agenda means to people it's time to buy Starbucks, which has not been a great stock. Been okay. No, it has not been great. Um, China, obviously, very important for the yes. company. And the reopening there certainly was helpful. 
But the U.S. Uh, there are plenty of downtown areas in this city, not to mention plenty of hotels and things of that nature, where there's a Starbucks downstairs, and you could imagine traffic is not anywhere near what it was. No, it's been bad, but Cowan's out there saying we're about to have that resurgence. What's good about this is people are looking for the next Nike. They're looking for the next Costco, the next Walmart. Uh, for instance, uh, there's a note about Lulu. That's another one that people view as the next, the next, the next. So Cowan puts the next as Starbucks, and like I said, I, this has not been, con- none of these numbers are being confirmed by Kevin Johnson, the CEO, because it's the quiet period, which means for people at home, you don't get any information. So this is this own field work. Right. All right. Positive. Well, sometimes that can actually be right. We I, I see like that field from work. Yeah. Right. Okay. Actually doing work and taking a stand. Yes. When we come back, Jim, we're going to uh, talk about Palantir's direct listing. Of course, the company is going public today. It's been a private company for, what, 17 years. We'll break it all down for you. Keep it here. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Every day. Thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Opening bell on this final day of the third quarter in just a couple of minutes, Jim. Uh, the Treasury Secretary continues to make comments to our Becky Quick at Delivering Alpha, saying two things, Jim. One, on TikTok, if there is no deal, then they will shut it down. Uh, the technology will be sanitized by Oracle, he says. And then asked if he was on board for a full second term, said yes, uh, he will serve if the president is reelected. Well, I mean, there you go. I, I think that uh, obviously the president has uh, he can be arbitrary. Uh, but I do think that there is uh, that's helpful, again, in terms all I care about is the stimulus. And uh, th- if he has the president's backing, which is obviously from that statement, then there is hope that there can be something. But, boy, are we uh, desperate for it. And I still and I come back, Carl, and trying to figure out the situation with the airlines. I mean, I, I think that's so front and center. Uh, Philip Bo's done unbelievable work about talking about how when you hurt the airlines, you hurt routes to different uh, congressional districts. Uh, I really want to know more about that, because uh, if they can't separate that from everything else and it's caught up, that's going to be the big layoffs. Uh, And you're going to see a spike in layoffs and not just the Disney layoffs. So, uh, look, I think everyone in the country wants some sort of deal except for people who genuinely believe that the economy is incredibly strong. David, if you think the economy is incredibly strong, why would you give away a trillion dollars? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. And there are those who believe that the economy is strong enough to withstand this, Jim, and don't want to spend more money. Obviously, the budget deficit has been expanded greatly, not just uh, over this last year, which has been truly extraordinary. But even prior to that, remember, we were running a trillion dollar deficit in part because of the 2017 tax cuts. Well, right. And I'm glad you brought that up because I I think that one of the things that came up last night, I have a I'm interviewing Senator Warren today. Uh, is that taxes will go up if uh, Vice President Biden uh, does win. I don't think there's any dispute with that, uh, especially for the wealthy, David. So uh, be prepared. Yeah, I got I to gotta get me a better accountant or buy some real estate, apparently. 
real estate doesn't help them. Start oh, to, you start mean depreciating? Hire some consultants? I don't know. I got to figure something out. David, you're on your own. I'll be up there at 60% soon enough. <laughs> Poor W-2 employee. Now, listen, <laughs> Carl, um, nothing to complain about here. Extremely lucky and, and uh, thankful every day. So. Uh, we're, we're definitely counting our blessings here, David. Um, we saw the opening bell, uh, Asana, ringing the bell at the NYSC, reference price 21, and uh, reference price of Palantir, Jim, 725. That's going to be a big part of our discussion later on this morning. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you could argue that's actually uh, dramatically cheaper than what the Wall Street Journal was talking. Now, um, there was, and David, I know you follow the, smart, the secondary market. You know, there was a September uh, was, uh, what, was it uh, $11, low $8. So, I mean, could you argue that this one is a relative bargain? Relative bargain versus what it was. Which one are we talking about? Sorry, Jim. Uh, Palantir. Oh, okay. Because we have two direct listings today. Uh, Carl just mentioned the other one. How extraordinary is that, by the way? On the same day, we've only had really two major direct listings up to this date, Spotify and Slack. And here we are. Morgan Stanley is, uh, is... it's not underwriting, but is gui- helping to guide both of these. And they are going to be worth, uh, both worth watching. Well, the, uh, the Palantir, last- of course, we've been talking about for years and how it would go public and whether it would go public. It is not as though it has been a, it a new company in any way. It's been no. run by Alex Karp, who will join us later on CNBC for many years. Peter Thiel, of course, one of its largest shareholders. One of my questions, guys, is just how many shares are actually going to be for sale Remember, again, this is selling shareholders, uh, including Mr. Thiel, perhaps, or anybody else who decides in part that they want to try to sell some. Now, they have a large lockup or a large percentage are locked up. But nonetheless, I just wonder, Jim, how much supply this thing there's actually going to be? Well, they are locked. Yeah, they're, what, they're locking all, all but 20 percent. Correct. So it's it's. Uh, it, but, David, but, this is one of those deals that is very hard for us in the media to really discern what's going on because there's a, well, let's just say we know that the last trade was at $9.17, okay? How is it possible that they're bringing this at seven and a quarter is the reference price? It's just a reference price is what I It's have. a reference price. We'll see where it actually opens. It's, Does it, it have any meaning? Somewhere around $22 billion. Well, it's got some meaning, but really it's what, you, what, you're, what the market will bear, right? Um, but again, uh, you know, uh, what I've heard, I've talked to a couple of significant shareholders. Okay. It's not clear to me that they even are willing to part necessarily with what they could sell. Um, and so I'm just curious to see how much is actually going to uh, going to be out there to make the market today. Well, Jim. The last trade um, was at nine. You, know, you yeah. average it out. It's nine dollars. Well, that's the point. I mean, if you believe in the long term. If you believe in the long-term ability of this company, are you really going to be a seller here at that reference price? Well, that's my point. No. No. You wouldn't be. Right. It, it, it makes no sense. It's just not economic to do that, which is why, I mean, figure, theoretically, if you get it to reference price, I mean, you're – look, these things are still huge multiples to sales, and yes. the company's not making any money. Uh, but people like data mining stocks, right? I mean, they like a Splunk, which is a data mining stock, uh, but they don't get this kind of multiple to sales. Uh, and a lot of them are closer to, uh, to profitability. Carl, I mean, this thing is just a, an enigma. It's a riddle. Uh, but I am sure that people will buy it just because, you know what? Data mining. Uh, data mining with government, uh, with defense. And, and moving on as well to commercial uses, as you know, right? Right. I mean, originally it was hunting for needles, not in one, but in thousands of haystacks for the government. 
They didn't right. have the software that the Palantir said to do their jobs. In Afghanistan, Iraq, soldiers were mapping networks of insurgents and makers of roadside bombs by hand. And so Palantir came in and helped them identify patterns hidden deep within data sets and intelligence sources and things of that nature. But they also have gone on, and this is the more important effort for them, really, to try to sell these services on a commercial level, um, working with their data to try to find patterns, to try to understand things, uh, and to try to keep track of things as well. They, in the prospectus, they point out an Airbus A350 has 5 million parts. It's built by hundreds of teams that are spread across four countries and more than eight factories. And companies routinely struggle to manage, let alone make sense of the data involved in large projects. Well, look, I think these are unique skills, uh, but you're still paying uh, 15 times for expected 2020 sales and you're paying 11 times for expected 2021 sales. But, David, we're all thrown off. Why? Because Warren Buffett is paying 100 times sales for Snowflake value butter. So we're all thrown about what these times the sales numbers really are. Yeah. Have you been able to get a beat on that? No. Specific to what? Berkshire in general? Well, just and their ownership of not, Snowflake or just the well, I'm just incredibly saying high not, multiples of sales that we're seeing in well, the Well, I've always felt that Berkshire Hathaway shunned IPOs yes. and wasn't interested in fanciful valuations. But they are the largest uh, outside shareholder of, of Snowflake. And I, I, there you know, are I like Frank Slootman. There do seem to be others asserting their... Um, their prominence at Berkshire beyond Mr. Buffett. Right, don't and I think, think? it's right. I, that's why I bring it up. And it's, it's reflective not, of that, right? right. I, it's not his position. No, but it is a giant position in the most over, well, giant position in the highest valued stock in the market right now. Before that, it was Zoom, okay? Mm-hmm. This is twice Zoom's valuation of price to sales. We haven't talked about it, Carl. This is but Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway is shunning everything that, that we always heard the uh, the Oracle of Omaha talk about. But as David says, it's no it's a it's 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 an agglomeration of analysts. And anyway, Apple's the best one they got. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, By the way, uh, Tim Cook with his first uh, uh, package of RSUs, I think, in about nine years, Jim. Uh, That's an interesting piece of news out of Apple. As for the broader market, nice bounce. All sectors green. Uh, VIX is down a point. Uh, the Dow, almost all components are green, led by Boeing and, and Dow. Uh, Jim, and a lot of travel names doing well. I wonder if you think this is responding to the news we've gotten out of Regeneron, whom we'll speak to in a moment, uh, Moderna, Quest, yes. BDX, and some others. We're getting a bridge. Regeneron is a bridge to a vaccine. Uh, the Abbott testing, which I continue to believe is undervalued in this market because it's only $5, is going to give you a chance to, to, sh- to show that you don't have COVID. You can test every single day. I mean, obviously, you don't have COVID today, you get COVID tomorrow. And what did we learn from the Tennessee Titans? I mean, every one of those guys was tested right before the game, and then they tested after the game, and it was no go. But the one that I was hoping David would shoot down, and he hasn't, <laughs> is? is the Duke Energy alleged deal, which David, yeah. I am told, is not a real deal. You're told it's not real. I have no reporting on it for you yet. Uh, I found about it like a lot of people did by reading the Wall Street Journal. Well, uh, but David, there was an approach made by Nextera to Duke. They rejected it. Very much unclear. Live. The Journal says that Nextera will come back, Jim. But I haven't even seen Duke's share price to see whether I know it was up in the... It would be hostile. Yeah. They don't do hostile deals in utilities. No. No. Uh, it does point to potential consolidation in that industry. Uh, Nextera has been an aggressive acquirer. Guys, before we get to Bob, real quickly wanted to mention Alibaba. Don't forget, a $777 billion market cap company 
one of China's largest, of course. Uh, it's up nicely this morning, Bob, over 3%, as you see. They had a, they had a three-day-long investor meeting, uh, and on day three, they talked a lot about cloud, uh, and their CFO guided AliCloud to turn profitable within fiscal year 21, and that seems to be making people happy uh, because that effort has been underway for quite some time, uh, and... Um, there are others as well that are in more nascent stages of development at the company in terms of new business lines. And so there is uh, obviously some happiness amongst the investor base that they are going to turn profitable there. Carl, back to you. Yeah. Meanwhile, guys, uh, Mnuchin tells Becky that uh, we should know uh, whether or not there's an understanding with the Democrats by Thursday. So being a little more specific on timing there. Let's get to Bob Asani, see what else is moving. Hey, Bob. Boy, what an overnight, Carl, of just a lot of market moving uh, events happening. I just want to show you the futures because the futures moved in a 60 point range overnight. Uh, they were near their peak right at, after the debate ends and moved right down as soon as the debate ended. I'm talking like 1036 Eastern time. We went straight down. Obviously, some questions about the, of the election, the outcome, uncertainty. So let's take a look at the buckets that move the markets. Remember, we've had these four or five buckets that move the markets here. Uncertainty around the election is now very high. Uh, and even about the outcome, that was pretty clear. Uh, treatment of vaccine, the progress you heard about Moderna and Regeneron and uh, maybe a 15-minute test from Becton Dickinson over in Europe. That made some news. That's certainly good news. Stimulus, well, we don't know. Pelosi and Mnuchin are still trying for a deal. That's not dead at all. So let's just say that's still a positive potentially. The reopening is very mixed here. We've had layoff announcements from uh, Shell and Dow, Disney, Mar Marathon Petroleum. That could be a big issue in the next few weeks. But we also had great economic data this morning. Chicago PMI, much better than expected. ADP, better than expected. So these are an awful lot of cross currents for the markets to digest right now. A lot of issues laying around out there. If you look at the sectors today, well, we opened with energy and banks uh, generally weaker. What else is new? Now they have moved into positive territory. Uh, tech was uh, doing a little bit better, and now it's, it's underperforming a little. If you look at the quarter, on top of everything else, folks, that we have to deal with, it's the end of the quarter market gyrations here. Uh, and we can see we're pretty flat in materials and industrials. Tech's still down 6%. Banks and energy is continuing to underperform. So uh, a tough month, first down month since March overall. Uh, the guys were talking about the direct listings today with Palantir. Uh, data mining company, of course, reference price, seven and a quarter. Uh, don't hold your breath when this is going to open, folks. Uh, it likely, it could be all the way till noon Eastern time. Uh, they're going to take a while, and that's because it's tough getting the right prices for these right now. And, of course, Asana, big workplace collaboration software, same thing here, uh, $21 reference price there. And, again, unlikely before... That would open before about noon, maybe 1130 or so. Direct listings are still relatively new. Remember, we don't have many of them that are out there. We've got Spotify and Slack here. So in terms of pros, why a direct listing? Well, you avoid the bank fees. That's important. And generally, there's no lockup period, although there is with Palantir. The cons, well, there's issues on price discovery. I mean, a reference price is just some idea roughly around it was trading less, but there's no institutional input into that overall other than what your advisor is telling you. And you don't have a lot of immediate long-term investors like you do with an IPO. So this is still relatively new. I would not call it untested. It's been tested, but it's still relatively new. We'll keep an eye on that. But again, folks, uh, just don't hold your breath for the next uh, couple hours. Guys, back to you. All right, Bob. We'll see you in a bit. Uh, Bob Pisani. Bob mentions the data we got today, including Chicago PMI, which came out a little early. Let's get to Santelli. 
Yes, Carl, all the data points were really fascinating today. Let's start with the early ones. Of course, we've talked about ADP better than expected. And we also understand there's a disappointment because we haven't recouped all the jobs. But much of that isn't necessarily at a function of the economy. It's a function of economies allowed to open or not and trying to control a disease that many are trying to work along with before, of course, we hopefully find a vaccine. If you look at these 749,000, it definitely is, is a nice number. Uh, we'd like it over a million. We'd like it over two. If you look at Chicago released early, uh, it, it was also a good number, but we forgot something. We talked about we haven't talked about GDP, and I like the personal consumption expenditure. We all know it's a favorite, especially the core of the Fed. And if you open this chart up, and that number started in 1959, it's never been negative except for this quarter. I find that very fascinating, and it was revised quarter on quarter from minus 1% to minus 0.8. The, the biggest, lowest number I found, actually, was up to tenths. Now, you see that on the chart? Let's go and look at Chicago. It happened to have been the best number since December of 2018 at 62.4 and well above the three- and six-month moving averages. As far as what occurred in our markets, the Mnuchin talk definitely moved markets. But if you look at boons on top of tens, they look exactly identical. That shouldn't be shocking. We're all trading basically stimulus anywhere around the globe. It's all fungible, just like the credit crisis. And finally, if we look at what's going on with the dollar index over the last several sessions, it basically lost a penny from high to low, uh, 9480 to 93.80, but it is stabilizing. Carl, back to you. All right, Rick, we'll see you later. Uh, Rick Santelli, when we come back, as we said, Regeneron uh, rising on news about its antibody uh, cocktail study. We'll talk to the co company's chief scientific officer in a moment. One reason that the markets are hanging on to close to 33.50. We're back in a moment. Data from biotech giant Regeneron showing some promising results for its antibody cocktail to treat the coronavirus. Joining us now is a person whom I know as uh, probably someone who's brought uh, more, more medicines, more drugs to the market that have been approved. Member of the U.S. National Academy of Sciences uh, and someone I have had a close relationship for a very long time, Chief Scientific Officer, Dr. George Yankopoulos of Regeneron. Doctor, always good to see you, sir. Jim, it's always great being on. We'll never forget that you spotted us many years ago when we were a $5 stock and you thought our special technologies could make us a, a powerhouse. And I hope you appreciate we've been working really hard to prove you right with our new medicines to fight blindness, asthma, atopic dermatitis, heart disease, cancer, and now with our efforts against COVID-19. Well, let's, let's talk about that. To me, when I just still things, I think that this could be, uh, uh, the hope for it is uh, to get non-hospitalized patients to recover faster. Is that too uh, broad a shorthand? No, I, I think it's a... Uh, that's the crux of it. Um, and, and just to step back a second, as we all know, there's been enormous interest with this pandemic about whether the immune system uh, and the antibodies it makes can help people when they get infected or not. And our study made several important advances. So the first thing we did was we provided very convincing evidence that, yes, people's immune systems most of the time can do a great job fighting the virus by making antibodies against the virus. But then we showed that for each person, it's a race between the virus and their immune system. Most people win this race by rapidly making their own antibodies. However, some people make antibodies more slowly, and this delayed response 
could put them at risk of losing this race to the virus. And the consequences of losing the race are getting sicker for longer and maybe needing hospitalization, maybe worse. And so the really important thing we showed with our cocktail is that we can use this antibody cocktail to substitute for a person's immune system. In essence, we can turn losers into winners by giving them their own immune response in a vial. Well, well, how is this different from, I had David Ricks on recently from Lilly. How is this different from what Eli Lilly's doing? Well, in many ways, the approach is the same. And I think that our study probably, you know, is optimistic in terms of for their studies as well. But I think our results, at least from what's been described publicly, are so far more convincing. We were able to make this realization that it's the people who are losing the race, the people who are not mounting their own immune response, those are the people where this sort of therapy can be most effective to. That's a really big advance. Well, that if that's the case, the then a chance for emergency use? I mean, what's the path for emergency use, a doctor? Because it was, from listening to you, I think, even though it's just, what, uh, 275 patients, that the FDA should take notice, try to get some more people, uh, uh, try to get some more people in, in any sort of study, because this could be breakthrough and also give you a lot of advice about what the vaccine should look like. Yeah, well, I think this also is promising for vaccines, because vaccines are trying to induce exactly the sort of antibodies that we're now giving to patients. But even though it's only 275 patients, let me remind you, the reason the vaccine studies have to be so much bigger is there's a lot more safety concerns with vaccines than with this therapy. This therapy, at least theoretically, uh, is probably much safer and does not need as large studies as the vaccines do. We do think that this original, this data that we've now generated is pretty compelling. Um, And of course, it's up to regulators and others to decide whether an emergency use authorization is warranted here. But I think the data is really compelling here that we can really be making a difference for these patients. All right, Dr. One last question. I, I, like many people, I'm going to be tested. I'll test it today, Wednesday at, uh, I don't know, 2 o'clock. Uh, if it shows something terrible tomorrow, should I try to get the doctor to give me Regeneron, uh, the, the uh, formulation, or is that just uh, being too flip? Well, right now, it's not necessarily available. Uh, but if you're asking for my opinion and based on the data, if it was me, um, and I know as much about this as anybody else, I would definitely want to get access to this antibody cocktail if I was recently diagnosed and I had high viral titers. Wow. Okay, that's pretty significant because uh, we don't have anything like that right now. Uh, congratulations to you, doctor, and to your team at Regeneron. have done such a fantastic job, and I know that this is not your first pandemic, and I think that makes you very different from a lot of the other people we deal with. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you. All right, call back to you. All right, Jim, Uh, we are keeping an eye on Palantir and that direct listing that we'll expect later on this morning. Stick around for the first trade. And Alex Karp with our Andrew Ross Sorkin as the S&P gets a bounce back to 33.55. Don't go anywhere. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. So, Carl, you might notice that Boeing is up. It's been up all morning. Don't forget, Steve Dixon, head of the FAA, flies today in the 737 MAX. Uh, I think that that is a prelude to perhaps approval. Uh, we'll talk more about that tonight. But I think that you have to understand that this is something that is long awaited and I think will be viewed as being the last step before validation, not vindication, but validation that the 737 MAX works. Very good news for Boeing. Yeah, uh, making another run at the 50-day, Jim, which has yeah. been a suppressant really since July. I think you buy it. I've not liked it. I think you buy it. This is it. 
Now you were, you're at the at you're like the tail end of this mess, and I think that's the case. There's going to be demand because I believe that the travel numbers are, are at a nadir and have to get better. There's just uh, too much demand that's been pent up. People just waiting to hear that the planes are safe and and we can go somewhere. And I think we're other than Disney, people want to travel. Yeah, it would be nice, Jim. Um, what's on Mad Money tonight? Okay, so we have uh, Mark Benioff. He's got a surprise announcement for us. We've got to find out what that is. And then the hottest company other than Zoom is DocuSign. I used DocuSign yesterday. I used DocuSign. All, all of us use DocuSign. Uh, it's a way to circumvent pretty much any red tape. And Dan Springer's done a remarkable job. It's been a fabulous stock. We'll find out more. All right. That's, uh, that's going to be one to watch tonight, Jim. We'll yeah. see you at 6. Thank uh, you, Mad bro. Money, 6 p.m. Eastern time. We're watching headlines from Delivering Alpha. Dow's up 250 on some pretty good data today as we close out Q3. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.